You know, this past week, uh, Kelly's been out of town, actually, the whole week. Uh, she left on Monday and uh, is, or, and we'll be back next Monday night, late, late. But, you know, throughout that week, it's just been me and the boys, uh, both my sons, eight and six years old. And on top of that, it's the first week of summer. So that's always fun, you know, because they're uh, used to being at school all day and now they don't have that. And so they want to just hang out with me, which is great. A lot of fun, a lot of good times, but obviously, man, a lot of work throughout the week. And uh, I just walk away from this and I'm obviously still in it, but uh, just feeling like, man, Kelly does so much. You know, just from, I mean, I'm not just talking from the cooking because she definitely does a great job with that. But I mean, I'm just talking about all the little things that you don't notice throughout your day. When you're the only one there, you realize that things aren't picked up as much as usual. Well, you know, you realize that the boys are always coming to you and that just how much that Kelly does for, um, for them. It, you know, um, matter of fact, one of my sons this past week kind of got himself in a little bit of trouble and lied about it. Uh, and to the point where he would not break. And it was so obvious. So obvious. Don't you love that with like kids? It's like somehow they think they're getting away with it. And you're just like, I, I, I've lied before in my life. And you definitely are lying based on the facts and your face. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's just not really working out for you here. Um, anyways, and I'm just stuck. I'm like... You know, I do the whole dad thing, like, son, you just need to come clean before God and before me. Yeah. And he's just like, I didn't do it. And I'm like, oh, it's like, that's my one trick. I don't have anything else. I'm like, let's go look at some scriptures. Da, da, nothing. I'm like, okay. So I call up Kelly. She's like, show him grace. Just sit, just sit down with him and say, hey, son, you know, talk to him about how he's feeling. You know, ask him how, you know, are you scared to, you know, tell the truth? And sure enough, he starts talking and he confesses to the whole thing. And I'm like, ah, I was like, Kelly, I totally need you. You know, women are incredible, aren't they? Especially the ones that are in our uh, lives. And today we're going to be able, uh, have an opportunity in Genesis chapter 29, if you guys want to be turning over there, to look at one of the most incredible women in the Bible, Leah. Yeah. We're going to have a great um, opportunity to really look at her life and to try to see, you know, what can we learn from Genesis 29 and what can we learn about Leah's life? Genesis chapter 29. Now, we're going to continue in our study in Genesis. Now, as a church, we've been making our way through it. And as you can tell, we've... Uh, been making our way through it. Now that we're at chapter 29, we're going to be winded down here. But in uh, chapter 29 and verse 1, it says, Then Jacob continued on his journey. If you remember last week, uh, we learned about how Jacob had his dream. Right? Jacob had been chased out of his house after stealing his brother's birthright and his blessing. And now he was on the run for some, for, you know, for some time. God came to him in a dream. And said, you got to get back on track here. Here I am. I'm your God. Let's start making this right. And so here we see Jacob is listening to God and continuing on his journey. 
And he came to the land of the eastern peoples. There he saw a, um, saw a well in the open country with three flocks of sheep lying near it. Um, because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone over the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone um, away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would uh, return the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. Here we see that all these shepherds are gathering around the um, local well, if you will. And there's this large stone placed over the well because you're in the desert. They don't want all the water going up. But also, at the same time, you don't want other people just walking up, stealing all of your water. Right? And so they would wait to have all the shepherds there who are the local shepherds. They would wait for all of them to get there at one time, roll the stone away. And this was a large stone. You're talking about a big enough stone to block a well. They would pull it away, and all their sheep would be able to get watered at one time. So that's what's happening here. And we see that Jacob is walking up on this well, and most believe this is the same well that his father Isaac had sent his servant to find his wife. So let's continue on to verse 4. It says, Jacob asked the shepherds, my brothers, where are you from? We're from Haran, they said. He said to them, do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know him, they uh, answered. Then Jacob asked them, is he well? Yes, he is, they said. And here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the sheep. Look, he said, the sun is still high. It's not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to the pasture. We can't, they said, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. So here we see Jacob at the well looking for a wife, oh, yeah. right? And we, and we know actually in the previous chapter that his father told him, you got to go back to my home country, back to my own land, and you got to find a wife from, from my people. And so here he is, he's listening to his dad, going back to the exact same well, and there he sees his cousin, Rachel. Don't think too much about that. It's a different, different time back then, okay? So let's just, we can, we can kind of move on from that one. Um, but, he, but he sees her. Then all of a sudden, he doesn't want the other shepherds around, does he? He's like, hey, you guys should water your sheep some other time. Why don't you leave? I need just, me and Rachel need to get some quality time here. Right? And so let's keep going here. It says, in verse 9, it says, While he was still talking with him, Rachel came with their father's sheep, for she was a shepherd. When Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of his uncle Laban, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep um, aloud. He had told Rachel that he was a relative of, of her father and a son of uh, Rebekah. So he ran, so she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to, to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said to him, you are my own flesh and blood. So you see Jacob, at this moment, he sees his cousin Rachel. He sees this beautiful woman and... You know, of course, he, gets, he musters all his strength and rolls the stone away by himself. Pretty, pretty, you know, I mean, you got to imagine he's got a little bit of, uh, you know, motivation here. 
to roll that stone away. Then we see him, he tells her everything and he begins to weep. Right? He's, got, he's like that total modern man here, right? Strong and in touch with who he is. Um, and, you know? So Rachel at this moment is like, wow, this is a pretty awesome guy that I just happened to stumble upon at the local well. Let me go back and tell my father. And of course, Laban probably remembers when, you know, um, Jacob's father, Isaac, sent his servants to that same well. And brought so many gifts, so much wealth with him. So Laban is happy to go figure out, hey, what's going on? And then he begins to sit there and talk to Jacob and get the whole story. And says that Jacob tells him all these things. You can imagine that Jacob is pouring out his heart, telling him about, hey, this is why I'm on the run. My brother wants to kill me. I haven't been able to see my uh, parents for quite some time. There was this dream and God sent me and here I am. So then Laban, as we continue on, we're going to figure out what he does. Yeah. Says after Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, he was working for free for a whole month. Laban said to him, just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Laban was a pretty smart guy, right? He got a month's work out of him. Tell me what your wage should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the, elder, of the older was Leah. And the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me, oh, excuse me. Laban said in verse 19, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Aw, that's so sweet, right? Classic love story. Yeah, we're going to get to that in a minute. So it says here, just in their names alone, Rachel actually means cow. It's like, thanks, Mom, for that one. You know, it's like, cow, that's your, that's your name. It's like, oh, who's that? That's, that is cow. Oh, okay, I'm going to go walk over here then. Uh, no, uh, excuse me, other way around. Rachel's... Uh, Leah's name is Cal. Excuse me, excuse me about that one. Rachel is you. Like, as in like a you lamb. Like a nice, precious, cute, cuddly. So we have in the very beginning, all, already Leah's name is not quite the most um, attractive um, description, if you will, of her. And then we have Rachel, who's polar opposite of that. We can see that God is already starting to set up here what's about to... Um, to happen. Now, with that, we see that Leah is the older sister. And we can already start to feel that she outshines. I mean, she's outshone by her younger sister, Rachel. Not only in the fact that Rachel seems to be quite talented in the fact that she's a shepherd, but her beauty um, as, um, as well. So you can imagine the tension. Any of you that have a brother or sister would know there's a little bit of competition within that house. Between the older and the younger. Now, Jacob, being a smart guy, recognizes how beautiful Rachel is. So he agrees, I'm going to work for seven years in order to have her as my wife. Now, seven years, that's more than she's worth. Now, hear me out on that, okay? For every year, you get about ten shekels of silver of work. 
a, a bride price at that time was about 30 to 40 shekels. He agrees to pay almost double for her. So you can imagine her, her beauty, but also how much Jacob decide, uh, desired to have her as his wife. You know, then, of course, the famous line and the time flew by because he was so in love with her. Right. So let's just keep reading on here. It says, um, I totally forgot where I was. It said 1921. Then it says, then Jacob said to Laban, um, give me my wife. My time is completed. It's worked for seven years at this moment. And I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when the evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant um, Zelpha uh, to his daughter as her um, attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is, uh, what is this that you have done to me? I served you for Rachel. Didn't, um, sorry, my pages are crinkled. Didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban said, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week. Then we will give you the younger one also in, uh, in return for another seven years work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah. And then Laban gave his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. Laban gave his servant, um, I don't even know how to pronounce that. Bilah to, uh, to his daughter, Rachel, as her um, attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also. And his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. So here we see Jacob. They have this big party. He wants to get married. And in this party, the word feast actually means has a lot to do with drinking. So we see that Jacob gets drunk. Doesn't even notice that he was had a little wife swap there. And of course, he wakes up the next morning and realizes, hey, this is not the woman that I uh, had hoped to, uh, to marry. And he goes to Laban and he says, what's going on here? What's the deal? And of course, Laban says, hey, around these parts, we don't actually deceive people in taking the younger over the older. Because I know who you are. I know what you've done. So I'm going to buy the customs of the land and I'm going to give you the older one first because the older is before the younger. And you can imagine Jacob in this moment, he says nothing. Because he's like, oh, yeah, about that. Uh, let me figure that out. Okay, I'll work for another seven years. And he begins to work for another seven years for Laban. But at this time, we also see that he loves Rachel more than Leah. Let's keep reading here in verse 31. It says, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive. But Rachel um, remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben. For she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again she conceived. 
And when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband, my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. So you see here that, that God was watching over Leah. You know, God was not new on the scene here. But this is the first time we're hearing of God. This is the first time that we're hearing of God showing up. You know, we had seen before that God had spoken to Jacob, brought him to this place. And now we see that he's taking a special interest in Leah because she is not loved. But he was there the whole time that God ends up blessing her with children. He blesses, blesses her with four children. And you can see the little dilemma that she's having here. She wants so badly the love of her husband that all of her children are kind of named after that. After her hardship, after her suffering, after her mourning. And then we see the fourth one. She kind of changes it. She names him Judah and praises God. You know, something clicked at this moment that it wasn't about hardship. It wasn't about jealousy, envy, or the frustration of her life. You know, it, thinking about all the time that she had wasted energy and effort, the nights and the um, brooding over how she had been slighted in life from, the, from her name. To the fact that she had to trick somebody to get married. And then in that, her husband not even um, loving her. But in fact, um, rejecting her. She herself, you can imagine, was wrestling with, I never feel good enough. But then it clicked for her. It clicked at this moment and she realized that it's not about me. And we see... That in her actions, that it allowed her to praise God. Even through her suffering, even through her hardship, she's able at this moment to praise God. You know, to get to this point, it took years, didn't it? It took a horrible marriage. It took four children for it finally to set in. That God has brought her to this point for a very specific reason. So what about you this morning? What's your strategy through suffering? What's your strategy through hardships, through mourning? Is it to seek after self-fulfillment? You know, that's, if you just find that right husband, that right wife, then your life will be perfect. If your kids are just dressed a certain way, or they go to a certain school, or they listen and um, obey, then my life will be great. Maybe it's caught up in your job where you're like, man, I just got to get to that next level and then I'll finally, I have made it to that one spot. Maybe it's you're wrapped up in your, in, in your hobbies and the things that you enjoy and you find fulfillment or try to in those. Now maybe over time you've grown bitter and frustrated based on the suffering, the hardships that you have been in. You can imagine Leah herself having, looking back on her life, right? She even names her children after her own frustration, her own bitterness. You know, for my, for my grandfather, I absolutely loved him to death. 
loved my grandfather. But he had a stroke when I was in fifth grade. And the stroke, basically, um, his whole left side of his body was paralyzed. And my grandfather, you got to know him, he was very active man. He worked with his hands. He was a um, shop teacher. And so he, he, he was one of those guys that would go out and go camping, trips to um, just Africa, China, all over the world. He loved life. But in his suffering, after his stroke, he grew bitter. He grew frustrated with life. And it changed who he was. You know, bitterness, when allowed to grow in our lives, changes who we are. It changes the way that we view life. It changes the way that we even walk into a room. It changes who we are. Maybe that's how you deal with suffering. Is that you grow frustrated and bitter towards the world, even towards God Himself. Maybe it's jealousy. That you look at others and you see their lives and all you can think of is, man, their life is perfect. They walk in happy. I see them mowing, mowing their lawns. They look happy out there working. You know, I'm sitting inside my house suffering. Life isn't working out for me. Man, I wish I could have that. But where do you turn? Inward? Or outward and you're suffering. You know, there's a team that uh, I had the privilege of um, working with in the past couple years. And, uh, his name's Joey. And uh, I spoke with Joey and asked him if I could tell the story. And, um, you know, Joey right now currently is going into his freshman year of um, high school. He's been a disciple of Jesus for one year. Great, solid guy. I mean, he, God has blessed him with so many talents. Last year, Joey played basketball, baseball, and wrestled just because he wanted to. He actually never wrestled before, all for his school, and did very well in all of those. The kid has got talent that God has blessed him with. But at the same time, he's very, he's very humble about it. You know, he has that perfect little balance there, right? The talent and being humble about it. But about two years ago, his three-year-old's half-sister got diagnosed with cancer. Now, Joey really wrestled with this because he saw his little sister and he, he was like, she's three years old. She hasn't even really lived life. And yet God has given her this cancer. How can this be? How can I love God? How can I know about God? How can I read about that God wants to bless us? That God wants to take care of us? That we are his children? But yet I see my sister and she's suffering. Not only is she sick, but she's suffering. And he really wrestled with, how do I put those two things together? You know, in that time, Joey really, there were some low moments for him. Where he decided, you know what, I, I'm not going to do this whole disciple thing. I'm going to go live my own life. I'm going to try to find happiness in the way that I want to try to find it. I mean, you talk, this is a 13-year-old boy dealing with these type of just issues in his life. Trying to wrestle with it. How is God and suffering, how do those two things work? You know, last month, his little sister finished up her chemo, which, amen, it was great. They went to take out the port out of her heart, 
and a 1% chance the port breaks in her heart. And the doctors, I mean, are freaking out. Because she's a little girl who's gone through chemo. Her body is not exactly in the best place. And they're trying to decide, are we going to do open heart surgery on this child? And so Joey, even in this moment, he says, he, he's coming to me and he's like, okay, God, thank you for giving her cancer. Thank you for bringing almost all the way through. But this, why is this even happening? You know, and the doctors were able to look at it and say, you know what? I think she's going to be fine for now. We'll go ahead and leave the port in there. And maybe later on, we'll be able to take it out. But thankfully, her cancer has been, is gone at this moment. You know, and Joey, it was interesting to watch him. Because at this moment, Joey kind of had a little, a little kind of moment inside his mind where he was able to praise God afterwards and say, you know what, God, I know how you worked in my sister's life, how you moved her through these paces. And now she stands there cured. Now, that's not always the way it goes, is it, church? But Joey started to understand that God watches over the situations, that God is always there, that God, even in in Genesis chapter 29 has been there the whole time, moving the pieces. But a lot of times we don't think like that. We only really want to recognize God when things are going well. Somehow we think through our prayers and through our wishful thinking that God, I can bring you back to my life. Somehow you've walked away for a little bit and that's why I'm suffering. That's why I'm going through this. And then when things start going well, you're like, wow, God, thank you for looking at your servant and remembering me. But that's not the way God works. God's there the whole time. You think that it was a coincidence that Jacob, chased out by his brother, had to leave home and then just shows up at the right well at the exact time that Rachel's coming down? You think that's just coincidence? There is no coincidence in life. It's God moving those pieces. You think that God wasn't watching over Leah when her dad hatched the plan to secretly uh, basically send her away as a wife to a man that didn't even want her? You think God wasn't there watching over that? You think God just realized, oh yeah, I forgot. It's the um, ugly girl that was named Cow. Oh yeah, I forgot about her. (laughs) I should start giving her children now. No. He was watching over the whole time. He was guiding the whole situation. It's no different in our lives. That God is literally guiding, moving the pieces in our lives through hardships and through good times. He doesn't disappear or walk away in the bad times, in the rough times, during the suffering. But then the question why does God allow all this stuff to happen? Couldn't he have just blessed Leah with these children? Couldn't he have changed her name? And made it just work out for her? I want to read you the story here. So there was once a Zen master who hears that a boy has been given a horse. How wonderful, the people shout. We will see, said the Zen master. Then the boy falls off the horse and breaks his leg. How terrible, the people say. We will see, says the Zen master. Soon a war breaks out and the boy is spared from the service because of his broken leg. How wonderful, the people shout. We will see, 
No, we don't have the advantage in life to be able to see the whole picture. Sometimes the good things look really good, but it doesn't work out the way that we want it to. Sometimes our suffering feels horrible and we beg God to take it away, but we don't understand why God has placed it in our life. That maybe there's a reason for our suffering. God is working with a bigger plan than than we could ever fathom. You know, from the children that Leah's, that God blesses her with and, is, and allows her to have, the last one, Judah, is actually becomes the line of Judah, like the song we sing, yeah. and eventually leads to Jesus. Mm-hmm. We see through her suffering, through her mourning, that what ends up happening? Jesus. And that affects you and me. Through her suffering. Now, you think if Leah was had a little conversation with God, and God sat her down and said, hey, listen, you know what? I understand life's not going well. Trust me, all this is going to work out. Your kids are going to be great. In fact, your great, 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 somewhere down the line is going to be the son of God. Trust me, this is going to work out. Yeah. You think she would have been happy then, right? She'd be like, yeah, I'm ready to do this. Come on. But that's not the way God works. God moves these pieces, but he wants us to be able to... to Uh, surrender to his will you know for us it's good for us I I think I want to challenge all of us to be able to look back on our life to write it out and try to figure out how has God moved in your life think about for myself there's been a lot of challenges in my life especially uh, in I moved a lot as a kid moved a ton of times as a kid in seventh grade I moved three times a lot of fun I was not happy in those moments. I was not happy moving from state to state. But now looking back, I'm like, I have made so many great friends. When I go to conferences, I know people. I know people in all different countries because they've moved from one place to the next. When I go to some uh, you know, city, I generally know somebody there. I'm like, God has been moving. More than that, it's been able to keep me faithful. Because those um, individuals that became disciples and became Christians, it becomes another tether for me to stay a disciple and to stay, and stay a Christian. I've been able to see how God, and that's just one, one area. But it's good for us to look back and to see how God has worked, how God has moved the pieces of our lives. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5. You know, Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be able to take a look at the scripture and hopefully be able to answer the question that, you know, I can see how God is moving, but how do I praise Him in that moment? I still got to deal with how, I'm, with how I'm feeling. I still got to deal with this suffering. That hasn't gone away. Yeah. Let's see here in chapter 5, in verse 3, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of their righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now Jesus says, blessed 
are those who mourn. How does that even work? I think for us, the idea of being blessed is that we put it as a possible hope. As a, as a wish. As something in the future that, hey God, maybe you can make this happen. But that's not what's happening here. This is a current state of blessed. This is what's happened. You are, have already, you are already there. Think about it like this. If you were to say, Mr. Jones is blessed financially. It's a current state. We're not hoping that he will become blessed. Right? And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. You Christian, you mourn, but you are blessed. Currently. You're blessed by God because you have His Son. And you're blessed in the future as well because you will inherit the kingdom of heaven. You know, our state of well-being is not dependent on us, but on God. And fortunately, that is unshakable. Think about it like this. If we go back to the Mr. Jones here, let's think about his daughter. It says, blessed is the daughter of Mr. Jones because she will inherit all of his money. Right? So her life is, take, is taken care of. Her life is going to be good. But here's the thing. She didn't have to work for it. It was given to her. And the same for you and me. You don't have to be, you don't have to work for that blessed current state. So while you suffer, while you go through hardship, you already are blessed. So how does that work for us? Well, you're able to have joy. You're able to look towards God in those moments of hardship, in those moments of suffering. You're able to look towards God and to be comforted, not by what He will do or what you hope He will do, but based on what He has already done for you. Based already on the current state of your relationship with Him. This is exactly what we see happen with Leah. That she was blessed the whole time. That God was still moving in her life the whole time. You know, but is that how we see ourselves when we go through hardships? Do you ever wonder how some people just seem happy all the time? Like, it kind of bothers you a little bit, don't they? You're like, man. You know, they get in a car wreck or get a massive speeding ticket. And, you know, maybe. Right, uh, Demetrius, he's back here. Um, and they don't even care, right? It's tax season. They don't even care, right? Bills are piling up. They don't even care. They just seem happy. I think for us as Christians, we have an understanding that, what is this? It doesn't really matter. I'm already blessed. I'm already taken care of by God. I'm already chosen. I'm already his son or his daughter. And I got heaven waiting for me. They're surrendered to the fact that God has a plan for their life. You know, God was moving in Leah's life the whole time, but unfortunately she was unable to see that. She wasn't surrendered to God's will. And when that happens... We're able to get our priorities straight. But that's what suffering and hardships bring for us. The ability to get our priorities straight. A moment in time where we can figure things out. That we can put our life in order the way that God would want us to. You know, for... Um, refugees that are fleeing for their lives 
You don't ever hear them complain about what they've left. Did you ever notice that? Like, man, I really made that awesome table. Man, I'm bumming that it's not, that it's not there. Right. I'm bumming that I just don't have that with me right now. My, just all that stuff, all my, all my things that I have, man, I just wish I could go back to that. Refugees are happy about one thing, that they have their lives. You know, puts hardships put our lives in order, our priorities straight. Same thing for Leah. It took four kids for her to learn that all she really needed was God. You know, that all she really wanted was her husband to recognize her. All she really wanted was to be loved, but the whole time she didn't realize that God loved her. God had um, adored her from the very beginning, God had a plan. All lined up for her from the very beginning. It just took her surrendering to that plan for her to see it. So what about for you? Are you surrendered to God this morning? Can you see his plan? Because when you, when you do, just like Leah, you're able to praise God. You're able to praise God and worship him because you see it. It all makes sense. The fact that God has been moving in your life. That God has been walking, uh, watching over you. That he's like a skilled master with calculated moves. Making sure that your life is lined up for his will. In the passage that we have read today. I want you guys to see, especially to home in on the fact that God had blessed her with the son Judah. And that, that son would lead to Jesus. Which would lead to us being blessed. Also, we could be called blessed today. That we could be blessed through His Son. So that you could be a child of God. This isn't a wish or a hopeful thought. This is reality. This is who you are. Sorry, I lost my place here. No, but even with Leah and Jacob through a time of defiance and the fact that they didn't want to surrender to God, God still watched over them. For you this morning, if you're here and you haven't surrendered to the will of God, God still is moving in your life. He's brought you here this morning to read this passage so that you understand that God is moving and that God has a plan to watch over you and to bless you. Aren't you, trying, aren't you tired of trying to figure it out all on your own? Aren't you tired of suffering and mourning and not really understanding how it all works? Church, we need to surrender to God. Church, we need to surrender our lives and our will and follow Him. Amen. Thank you.